Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. The reading is Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Well, hello everybody. It's great to see you. My name is Howard. I'm the pastor here of Westminster Chapel. And everyone is welcome in our church. Now, you, some of you may feel like, I've seen you do that so many times now, Howard, and you're not getting any better. But I was so encouraged. Um, clearly, you do. Uh, I was so encouraged that a couple of weeks back before we went away on holiday, somebody actually came to our church who was watching online. Welcome if you're watching us. Solely because, or largely because they, they saw me do that. And they were so moved and touched by the fact that I'd been encouraged to learn to sign that introduction, that that they wanted to be here and be part of this church family. So I just want to thank Gina, uh, Amanda, and Jean just for your faithfulness, your idea doing that. And they're involved in leading our deaf uh, ministry and work here in the church. And they've they've taught me a little bit. I'm probably one of their worst students, but they've also trained (laughs) the wider staff team. We've done a deaf awareness day and things like that. That is our heart. We want to be a church that welcomes everyone. And it's been an extraordinary few days in the life of our nation, hasn't it? To state the obvious, we remember our queen, a great woman of faith. A great light has gone out over this nation. A woman who heralded the truth about Jesus Christ without fear or intimidation year after year after year. We want to honor her. And the scripture that God put on my heart, actually, uh, this morning about that, this week, hearing this news, was an unusual scripture from Joshua chapter 1, where God speaks to the people of Israel, if you like the church today, and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. And there's this sort of moment of shuddering, the great man, the, the great prophet, Moses has died. Moses My servant is dead. And I sense God is saying to us, Elizabeth, my servant is dead. And the verse continues, therefore now arise and go forth into the promised land. How do we honor such a great woman? By honoring the one that she served. 
Jesus. Jesus. To fulfill the mission and the calling of the church. And that is a time of grief and loss. Already, I think people are experiencing many disappointments and discouragements. So I thought I'd share with you what do I sometimes do when I feel a bit down? I'm a very melancholic personality, as people who know me well know. Um, what do I do? One of the things I do actually is I go over to Bank Station in London um, and I sit in St. Mary Woolnoth Church. You may not know this church, but that church for 27 years was pastored by a man called John Newton. John Newton called himself an infidel. He was a despicable transatlantic slave trader who encountered God, was forgiven by the grace of God. He became a church pastor. This small church, only about 80 to 100 people is where he pastored. And people came to seek out his friendship and his advice. One of them was William Wilberforce. It said he walked around the building afraid to enter it many times before going in. And it was John Newton who encouraged him to stay in his vocation as a politician and supported him alongside people like Ekwiana Oladua and many others to see the abolition of the slave trade. But perhaps the thing that John Newton is most famous for is writing the most famous hymn, dare I say it, song in human history. Amazing Grace. But what inspired him to write those words? It was his salvation. He never got over the fact. He calls himself a blasphemer. He called himself a man who is a rebel against God, a man who did evil and despicable things. He never got over the fact that God would pardon him, God would receive him, God would accept him, that God would love him. And this is the expression of what this song that, that so many in our nation, Christian or not, would know. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. But now I see. That is the title of this vision message today. John Newton never had a problem with his eyesight, by the way, until about the age of 80. Um, so he's not talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual vision, being able to see into something beyond what you just see in an earthly existence, something more. And so as we study this passage together about blind Bartimaeus recovering his physical sight, you need to understand that it's not simply talking about physical sight, but something much greater, spiritual vision, revelation, understanding about what truly matters most. Now, I feel like I've been in a season where God has been recovering my sight. There have been areas where I've been proud. And because I've been proud, I've been blind. I've been proud and ambitious about kind of worldly things in some senses and not seeing godly perspective. I've been blind. And, and it, it happens to all of us, doesn't it? So I thought I'd try and illustrate this in a fun way with the selective attention test. It is a real test. You are under examination now, and your job in a moment, sorry if you're watching online, you kind of can't fully play along unless our tech team have worked wonders with copyright permissions and things like that. Um, your job is to count the number of passes that the white team make, and then we're going to find out how well you do. Okay? It's an attention test. That's what you do. We're going to roll this, and then we'll carry on in a moment. 
This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? This video is from research by Daniel Simons and Christopher Shabrini. Brilliant. Now you've seen that you can't really unsee it. I have tried to do it that. It is available for use in talks, Did any of you see the gorilla first time? On DVDs from Vizcog Productions. Counting the passes. Learn more the at theinvisiblegorilla.com. <laughs> um, the point I'm trying to make is that so often the world tells you you need to count the passes. You need to focus on your career. You need to focus on success. You need to focus on wealth, being adored, being liked by other people. You need to focus on being better than the people around you, better looking, but you're cooler, having nicer stuff. All of that, you're in competition against them and your value or worth is determined by where you are at in relationship to them. You've got to count all of that. You focus on that and you end up missing the gorilla. Now, some of you may have gone there and have noticed the terrible area where this illustration starts to break down <laughs> is that... I'm really not trying to liken seeing Jesus to a dancing gorilla. Um, that would be blasphemy. But I think you get the point that you can be so tuned in to focus on one thing that's kind of wildly that you missed God. You missed God. Now, I love how this is described in the parallel account written by Luke, first century biography of Jesus um, and his eyewitness testimony. He describes Jesus there as being called that Jesus was passing by. It's a beautiful phrase in that moment. Jesus was passing by. And the danger was is that people were going to miss him. Bartimaeus could have missed him. People could have missed him. In fact, there's an amazing song that's written solely on that verse about Jesus passing by by a woman called Fanny Crosby. Now, unfortunately, today, as soon as I say her name to a younger congregation, they sort of can't help but snigger at her name. But this is an extraordinary woman of faith. She was blind. But oh boy, could she see and she penned the most extraordinary hymn. Now, if I was Dr. R.T. Kendall, um, he would actually sing it to you. I've heard him do that. I can't sing. You're going to have to go look up the lyrics for yourself. Um, but we don't want God to pass us by, right? We don't want to miss what he has for us. And our pride can blind us to that reality. Let me flesh out an illustration of this for you. In the past sort of year or so months, I've been really enjoying getting into creative writing. A little bit of escapism. I've been doing it in my own spare time, kind of writing on something for my kids. It's sort of a bit fun and silly and stuff like that to help them know a bit more about Jesus. But what began really as a life-giving activity for me started to become a bit more idolatrous. I started to imagine and dream with my ambition. What if I could be the next J.K. Rowling, like a Christian kind of J.K. Rowling? Uh, I would be famous. I would have loads of money. We could buy a new car, which would be fantastic. I wouldn't have to pray when I've got driving the car and 
We'd at least have air conditioning that works. Sorry for the people in our car this week because it was very hot and sweaty um, when we were driving some folks around. And all of that, it kind of went there in that proud world. And I became blind. I became so consumed with my own sort of ambitious priorities, I stopped looking around and seeing actually what God was calling me to. What happened was I sent what I had written to somebody, not in this church, just so no one's worried about that, and I had a Simon Cowell X-Factor feedback moment. <laughs> the feedback was not good. Just tell you that. Feedback was about as painful as I've ever had feedback in my life. And I, in that moment, had my proud bubble utterly burst. It's like I came crashing down to the ground. It was so humbling, but it was so good. Because suddenly I opened my eyes and God was saying to me, you're not meant to be writing your own book right now. I've put people in your life who are writing books. Your job is to come alongside them and to help them write their books. It was an immediate situation. Then almost the next day, an opportunity just came right on my lap for someone who's written some amazing kids' Christian books that haven't yet made it to publish. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's what I'm meant to be doing. I was blind, but I could see in that sense. I started to see more for my life, for this church. So my question to you is, has pride been blinding you? Has pride been blinding you, stopping you from seeing what God would have for your life, for this church? See, the more we see ourselves as wretches, Beloved and saved by God, the more we'll be able to see. The more we'll be able to see. God is calling us to prayer and mission in this season. He's calling us to grow. Why? Because he loves people. Numbers matter to God because people matter to God. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with numbers. Don't get me wrong on that. I find them very difficult to deal with. But there's a whole book of the Bible that's called Numbers. God counted on the day of Pentecost 3,000 and later 5,000. So I have to sort of come to terms with the fact that numbers. But God loves, in that sense, numbers because he loves people. And he doesn't want any to perish but all to come to everlasting life. So he's stirring us with this two-part kind of focus of mission. Part one is that we would increase our prayer and intimacy with God. Part two is that we would engage more in mission and grow numerically for God. Really important order. With comes before for. The for comes out of the with. It grows out of our abiding. Fruitfulness comes from us being with and in the presence of God, out of our relationship with him. So today... We are going public. It's a courageous moment for us. We're the goal for us as a church. And the intention of this is to give us focus, is to give us greater unity, is to help us to pull together, that we would have an excitement about achieving something that is big enough so that we have to absolutely depend on God and say, we've got to pray because we can't do this on our own. And it's big enough that we've got to say, everybody's got to play their part because it's not just for a few people we won't get there. There's a role for us which will unify us in this season. And it's a really simple numerical goal. 222 adults in person, 44 children, those under 18, in person by the next 12 months. Right now we're about 140, 150 or so. We've had a bit of a blip last week, and it looks like we've had a little bit of a higher blip this week, um, which is wonderful. Praise God. He's already been answering our prayers, but it's a stretch for us 
to be stirred in faith, to press in for more of what God would have for us. We're not counting for our sake. It's not about our pride. We're counting for his glory. We're counting that it would encourage us to take the mission of God seriously, which would stir us to pray more seriously for him. Two key strategies to help us with this, apart from prayer, and I'm going to spend the rest of the message talking more about prayer. Two key strategies is the first is everyone bring one. Again, this is kind of not rocket science. It's about everyone bringing one. Um, that everyone in our church family would bring at least one person to at least one Westminster Chapel type or Christian event over the next 12 months. And the heart behind that is that everyone in our church family would have the joy of seeing at least one person come to faith in their life. That's our heart. That's our longing. It's such a wonderful thing when it happens. Seriously, it's great. Everyone bring one. And then we've got this other strategy that we've We've just basically stolen from another church, but they're okay with it. Um, It's called Hop, Skip, and Jump, and it's really served them well. And again, it's as simple as it sounds. We're going to have some hop events. We've got two lined up, really simple social events. We've got a men's night. It's going to be here. It's World Cup football night. Um, England against USA, I think it is. Um, And there'll be like table tennis, pizza, um, table football, pool, things like that. Just a great place to hang out. And then the week after that, we've got an amazing women's event. They're way ahead of the men in our church as always. They've already done Christmas social events before. So they already kind of have that kind of set up and a role to model out. Those are easy invite hop events. You might have some other hop events or activities you could be doing. Fantastic. Then we move into the skip event. So we're hoping people will hop and then they'll skip to our Christmas services, our carol service, our family service, our Christmas Day service that we're going to have as well. Um, The Sunday is Christmas Day this year. And then from that, that they're going to make the jump to come and join us here on a Sunday, which can be a bit hard to do if that's the first thing that you seek to do. And we're going to have a really accessible, engaging um, series, especially for those first couple of weeks of January. Hop, skip, and jump. Now, maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you're thinking, why? You know, I'm just feeling awkward and embarrassed about sharing my faith. This is uncomfortable. Maybe you're not yet a believer and you're thinking like, this just feels like pushing. I'm going to be Bible bashed and awkward. That's not our heart. That's not really our heart. We just believe that we have good news to share. That's basically all there is to it. And when you have had something good happen or a good experience... The usual thing you want to do, right, is just to tell other people about it. That's just instinctive. That's just natural. We're not trying to coerce you. And then it's your choice what you do with the information that you've received, right? We're not against your will. You can't force anybody to become a believer. That is terrible, and we would never want to do that. But just to illustrate this to you, um, we were away on holiday recently in France. That's all right, Paul. The Lord will forgive you, sir. (laughs) Gives me a moment, actually, to catch my breath and have a drink. I'll take advantage of that. Um, We took a holiday in France. And on the way back, my my wife Holly had found this amazing place to stay at. It was a chateau. I'd never stayed in a chateau before. Shabby, chic kind of chateau for one night on the way back from France. And it was fabulous. We loved it. We had two rooms, two bathrooms, a lounge, huge space. They had the best croissants that we had had in our entire time in France. They had homemade rhubarb jam and just masses of browns. So what did I do? I went on Booking.com. I gave them 10 out of 10. 
I started to champion them and celebrate about it. This is good news. I want everyone to know it. I want, people, I want them to get the recognition they deserve because this is great. This is a great place. I went to social media. I did photos about it. Everybody who's spoken to me and asked me about my trip, I've probably mentioned to you the chateau um, that we stayed in. Um, and that's the idea. If I can do that with that, why can't we do that about Jesus? He's even better news. Now, we got a little bit of rest. We did have our kids with us in this chateau. Um, But Jesus says, verse 52, your faith will make you well. Ultimate rest, ultimate wellness is in the good news about Jesus. But I want you to notice here that Bart, Bartimaeus, though he was blind, apart from Jesus, he was the one who was most able to see. Now, why do I say that? Because twice he calls Jesus son of David. Son of David. This is an extraordinarily significant phrase, rarely used on the lips of others about Jesus until this moment in the gospel. What does it mean? It means that someone greater than David would come. David was a great king. But there was going to be one who would come who would put all things right. A greater and ultimate version of King David of old would come. Who's been talked about, the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. The one to come to restore and bring healing and freedom and joy and life. This is what son of David, this term, means. We don't know how much Bartimaeus understood of it, but he understood more than everybody else around him, it seems. It's a a phrase that is expressed in the prophets like Isaiah chapter 35. The son of David is the one described as your God. Your son of David will come. He will come. He will come. The son of David will come. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened. I'm sure Bartimaeus would have known that scripture. And then when this term is used about Jesus by children in the earshot of religious people, they don't like it. It says they become indignant, they're angry, because the the term is full and loaded with significance. How dare Jesus accept and receive this title, the son of David? So even though Bartimaeus is blind because of the prophetic history of the Old Testament, because of what he's heard being promised about the one to come. It encourages him, it stirs him to cry out all the more in faith because he's, he's seeing something more based on what he knows has been revealed or promised, prophesied in the Old Testament. And we're called to do that. Scripture encourages us to do exactly that. Scripture says that we should eagerly desire the gift of prophecy that we should weigh it, that we should test it, but that it should have a work to stir, encourage, comfort, and strengthen the body of Christ. And God has spoken over this church in the most remarkable ways. It's extraordinary. I don't know another church in London, maybe even the United Kingdom, that has had the same level of prophetic promise spoken over her. That's, that's a major thing to say about a church, right? Some of these words are extraordinary. They're about breakthrough, renewal, revival. They're from significant figures. Jackie Pullinger, one of her team, came and said, With this church, with us, London will I shake. With London, the nations will I shake. 
eminent prophets like John Paul Jackson and then John Wimber. He's the founder of the vineyard movement of churches in a hotel seconds away from this place. He was woken up in the middle of the night with a vision that would revival would break out from very close near here. So he came to share that with the then minister, Dr. R.T. Kendall, and said, I think this must be for your church. We've had recent prophetic promises about revival for us. We've had a couple who used to pray over a decade ago in this space coming back. Why do they want to come back and pray here? They're part of another church, but they're coming here quite regularly now to pray because they believe that God's going to work revival through the congregation here. This is encouragement for us in a not dissimilar way, like Bartimaeus had his encouragement for us to cry out all the more in prayer and to be pleading and crying out that Jesus, a mighty visitation of the person of God, would not pass us by. We would not miss out. If he's coming, then let him come here and amongst us. We're crying out like Bartimaeus did. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on us. This is why we just believe more than ever we need to pray. We really need to pray. It's one of the reasons we've set up a prayer room. And as of this week, we'll send the link around. You can book it Mondays to Thursdays, 9 till about 4, and Sundays as well. We'd long to see that become a 24-7 place of prayer. That's our heart. Could you be part of that? It's why we meet to pray at 10 past 10 every Sunday before the church service starts. Even if there's five or six of us like we did at the beginning this morning, whether there's 20 of us, it doesn't matter. We're praying because we believe we need the presence of God. And almost on perfect time and cue, my watch has gone off at 12 o'clock. I have an alarm that is set at 12 o'clock every day to remind me as best I can in each moment to stop and to pray. I pray in the morning. My wife and I, we pray in the evening before we go to bed. But I want to pray as well in the middle of the day, deliberately and consistently. And I stop to pray Romans 12. Therefore, because of your mercy, God, let me present myself again to you as a living sacrifice. For this moment, for the rest of this day, do not let me be conformed to the world, but renew my mind. Help me to know what your will is in this moment, your good, pleasing, and perfect will, that I might honor and obediently serve you. Reset at 12 o'clock every day. You could join me in this. Our heart is to pray. It was great, as Andy was saying earlier, but I quibble. I think it was 46 people, not 45. Um, (laughs) Small details. Um, Who were here at the Belong Prayer Feast. It was fantastic. We had pizza. It was fellowship. It was glorious. But let's get to 146. Let's grow to 246, because our heart is to pray. We believe in the power of prayer. But this won't be easy. It's not going to be easy. I'll give you two reasons why. The first reason is because it's impossible. It's impossible. We can't save anyone. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's His. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labor is labor in vain. It's impossible without Him. And if you haven't noticed, church isn't doing very well in our nation. Now, there was a recent study which was really encouraging, which said a few parts of the church which amazingly we're part of, New Frontiers and FIEC, were growing overall. But the vast majority, especially more liberal churches, were in significant decline. 
Christianity is not popular in our nation, right? This is going to be impossible without God. But the good news is, is that he's the God of the impossible. And he reminds us of that in this passage, that it's all happening in Jericho. And they came to Jericho. Now Jericho, if you know your Bible, Joshua chapter 6, is a place where God did the impossible. There was a city with a military fortress in it that was intimidating, strong, mighty. Walls were impenetrable, hugely thick. They had the total ascendancy. It could not be defeated by human strength. So what does God say to his people? He says, I want you to go and walk around it seven times. I'm going to get you to blow some trumpets. And then on the last time, you're all going to shout, basically like, here we are, come and kill us. It's a totally crazy military strategy. What happens? Boom, the walls come down on that seventh time, exactly as God promised. The point is, God does impossible things through believers coming together to do counter-cultural works for his glory. Who go against the grain of the normal because it's God's way. It's his way. God wants to do something truly impossible with us so that he will get the glory. And people will say, they couldn't do this. Only makes sense if God is real. That's the first reason why it's not going to be easy. The second reason is that we're going to be opposed. We're going to be opposed. Bartimaeus was opposed. They wanted to shut him up. He was crying out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy. That, by the way, is prayer. If you hadn't worked that out, he's communing with Jesus. He's crying out to Jesus, and he's using one of the great prayers for the last 2,000 years so easy to pray, Lord have mercy. He's crying out to Jesus in prayer, but they want to shut him up. They want to silence him. They're uncomfortable. It's awkward. Why would Jesus be interested in you? He's got other things, other matters more important than you. You need to shut up. But that's not the way of Jesus. Ironically, the most blind people were the ones who were blind to the compassionate heart of God, that what he wants to do is always to stop and to serve and to love the people that society so often wants to shut up. His heart moves to those who are downtrodden, who are broken, who are in need. All sorts of things are going to be thrown at you to shut you up and stop you from praying. Distractions, discouragements, deceptions. People may not like it if you start to readjust your timetable to make more room for prayer. They may not like it if you're a bit too passionate in your faith. But we must persist. We must persist. That's what Bartimaeus did. Like the persistent um, widow. Wonderful passage, Luke chapter 18, which interestingly, is the same chapter as this very story unfolding in that gospel. There's a significance of their coming together to pray and not give up, to pray and not lose heart. That's the calling. And the opposition comes, doesn't it, against them here. You need to shut up. But what do we, what do we see Bartimaeus doing? All the more he cries out. He raises the volume. And his intensity, it doesn't put him off, doesn't slow him down. He's going, I'm crying out even more now. That's how we should be reacting. You want to oppose us? We're going to pray more. You want to resist it? You want us to silence us? We're going to speak out more to our Lord and Savior. We're going to pray because we believe in the power of prayer. 
I'm particularly stirred by the final verse of the parable of the persistent widow. And Jesus asks a question. Will he, the Son of Man, find faith on the earth? Will he find faith? Will he find people who are still persistent, holding on to the goodness of his character, who haven't given up, who are continuing to believe and continuing to pray because they believe in him. They're still crying out to him. Lord, have mercy. We trust you're a God of grace and mercy. And then you can parallel that with the final verse of this passage, 52, where it says, your faith has made you well. Faith is so key. Without faith, we can't please God. Without faith, our prayers won't be answered. We've got to stir ourselves up to see and to believe by faith that God is at work. To see, to get a bigger vision. Jesus is calling us, he's calling you to pray for mission. There's an invitation. There's a beautiful moment here where Bartimaeus responds to the call. Did you notice what he did? He threw off his cloak, it says. He threw it off. For me, that's a significant picture and illustration. I feel like he's saying he's throwing off the old identity. He's throwing off that defeated existence. He's throwing off this beggar stereotype. He's throwing off the old self. He's throwing off all that rubbish and negativity and self-attack and I can't do it. He's, he's getting rid of all of that and he's springing up to receive and respond to the call of Jesus. And we're called the same way. Jesus would call you and he would say, throw off everything that hinders. Throw off all the sin. Throw off all of that full stuff in your old self. You are a new creation now. Step into and receive all that you are meant to be in me. Put on this robe of righteousness that I won for you. I died. I paid the penalty for your sin at the cross so that you can be clothed and clean and beloved despite all the wrongs that you've done. It's glorious. He wants to turn blind beggars into a beautiful bride. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. So are you living in that identity or have you defaulted to go back to the old? Are you still stuck in the old? I'm rubbish, I'm worthless, I'm ugly, I can't do this, it's not important to me. You're still living in the beggar identity, not the bride identity. God wants you here. His beloved one. He loves you. We're called to leave things behind today. What is Christ asking you to cast away so that you can be closer to him? One needs to go. One needs to go. And then we have this most amazing question. Verse 51. Jesus is so gracious in asking this. The all-powerful, almighty God who spoke creation into existence says... What do you want me to do for you? <laughs> wow. But it's a strange question in a way because in the natural, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Jesus, come on. It's blind. <laughs> Hello. Can you see? It's kind of, I can take a guess at what he might say uh, in you answering that. And Jesus is also you know, fully God, fully man. And he's shown some pretty impressive supernatural understanding and insights into the people's hearts and what's going on in them. So you're sort of like, if you can't work it out in the natural, Jesus, surely you know in the supernatural what this man needs. You don't need to ask the question. So why does Jesus ask the question? 
Because he wants relationship, not transaction. He wants Bartimaeus to voice his need. He wants to hear his church, his bride speak. He wants us to pray, to have fellowship with him. He's not just interested in fixing people like they're a project. He wants fellowship with people because they're persons made in his image, saved, beloved, real to him. Now, if Jesus asked you this question, what would you say? Jesus comes to you and he says, what would you like me to do for you? I think the temptation might be to say, I want a new car. (laughs) Um, Maybe it's like, I want to be married for some of you. I don't know. I I want to be successful. I want fame. I want to be loved. I want a home. Bartimaeus was a beggar. We meet him right at the beginning. He's begging for money. He does not ask Jesus for money. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't ask for money. He asks for mercy. He asks for mercy in the form of having his sight restored. Jesus, I want to see. I want to see. And I would agree with him. I, I feel like for where I'm at, maybe you are too, that's my, that's my answer. Jesus, I want to see. I want to see you more clearly. I want to see. Open my eyes. We sung it. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see. I so want to see. And that is surely what Bartimaeus got to see. Immediately his eyes were opened. What is the first thing or what is the first person that he sees? He sees Jesus. He gets to see the face of Jesus. He's been blind for all this time. And there's Jesus, I imagine, just beaming with joy and life and smiling. Because Bartimaeus is sort of surprised with with joy at this awakening to to vision again. And he's seeing the face of Jesus. Wow. I want to see the face of Jesus. The thing I want to see most of, more than anything else in my life. The number one thing I want to see. I want to see Jesus more clearly. The second thing I want to see is I want to see how he sees. I want to see with the compassion that he sees people. So I don't just walk on past them or I don't say, oh, shut up. Jesus won't be interested to you either out loud or in my head. I want to be the one that's going to be like Jesus and stop and draw alongside and maybe offer to pray for people. The third thing that I want to see is his vision for the church. I want to see the church. I want to see this church as he sees her. Not just as things are, but as they will be. Not in the blind beggar status, but the beautiful bride status. Not to accept the status quo, but to press in for all that God would have for us. He is building his church. And the gates of hell cannot stand against her. That means that the church is on the advance, the gates of the last defense of hell, his territory, Satan's. And we are coming and they can't resist the movement forward of the church acting in unity, in power, anointed through prayer. So I see a great future ahead. I see hundreds of lives transformed. I see healings. I see breakthroughs. 
I see this church growing and being filled with all kinds of people from all different walks of life and background. I see us singing songs in different languages. Amen. I see tears of joy Amen. of people finding wholeness and healing in Jesus Christ in this place. Amen. Sunday after Sunday. What do you see? What do you see? So we're urging you as leaders, I'm asking you as well as your pastor four things. First thing is to cry out in prayer like never before and not to be put off. Not to be silenced. The second thing is to give generously to the church. Remembering it's not about money, but mercy. Amen. Mercy. And right now we could we could do with a little bit of help because your gas bills have gone up. Ours have gone up more <laughs> for this place. It's crazy. Um, we have 50-year-old boilers back over there um, that are going to need work. About 120,000 pounds of work at some point in the future. We've got a roof that has a few leaks in it. Minimum 15,000 pounds on that as well. And we'd like to be spending more money on mission, frankly. That's our priority. So we're going to need some help with that. The third thing is whether you could commit or recommit to serving in the church. We have a number of gaps. I'll just mention two for now. It's lovely that we're going to have lunch together again. We love the fact we get to have this. We've got a great team doing that. But every week, the area where we struggle is with people to wash up. We have a few very faithful people. We'd love to have a team where you serve once or twice a month and you're part of the washing up, clear up team. Speak to me, speak to Andy, speak to one of the hosts if that's you. The other area would be helping set up and set down this room every Sunday. Dave McDowell, he's done a fantastic job. He's got this baptistry here. He's got help from Jerry, but he needs a lot more help from us as a church um, to do that. And hey, you, you, can, you can build some muscle at the same time. It's a win-win uh, situation, that one. The last thing is to play your part. Everyone bring one. Hop, skip, jump. To own this goal, 222-44. How does, how did, what does it mean for you? For your life group, for your ministry team? Above all, though, I'm about to draw to a close, so, yeah, worship team. Above all, though, we just want you to walk more closely, obediently with Jesus. Amen. That's the heart in this. And it's so wonderful to see how Bartimaeus does that. Bartimaeus has been healed in the most remarkable way by Jesus. Jesus could turn to him and say, you owe me. You better follow me, and you better follow me really well. Just look at what I've done for you. Do you know what Jesus actually says? It's in the passage. He says to Bartimaeus, go your way. Wow. Sheer grace. Sheer grace. It's amazing. How does Bartimaeus then respond to that? It's my paraphrase. My way is your way now. <laughs> where you are is where I want to be, he's basically saying. And the passage goes on to say, he immediately follows Jesus. This is a result of grace. You've done that. I just want to be with you. I love you. In Luke's account, it says he goes away glorifying God, praising God, and everyone around is praising him. And isn't that what it's all about? We're here to glorify God. And that's where we began, John Newton. 
never getting over his salvation. We should never get over what God's done for us. We should be glorifying God again and again and again. We were sinners, wretched sinners, despicable, worthless, ugly, awful. If you look at all the wrong things you've done, you don't even know how bad you were. (laughs) And yet he loved us. He welcomed us in. He died for us. He forgave us. He gives us a hope, a future, an eternity with him. Wow, this is awesome. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you, you died for us. Thank you, you cleansed us. Thank you, you healed us. Thank you, you've transformed us. Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. We need you. Lord, we'd confess our pride. We'd confess our selfishness to you. Cleanse it. Let nothing grieve us. Let us be a place where your spirit comes on in power. Draw us in unity together to see hundreds and hundreds of lives transformed. Help us to see. Help us to see, Lord Jesus. Help us to see more clearly you. God, come. Open our eyes. Open our eyes. Help us to worship you. Draw close to you now. Come by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.